Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week we continue on in our series, Faithful Witness in Exile, Daniel 1 through 6. And the name of the sermon is called is God is Greater Than. And Pastor Brandon will be preaching from Daniel 3. Let's join Pastor Brandon now. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, uh, if you'd open your Bibles to, uh, to Daniel 3, please, uh, page 878 uh, in the church Bibles. If you, if you like watching uh, movies or TV shows that are a, a hybrid of comedy and drama, uh, you're especially going to appreciate uh, this passage that we're studying today in God's Word. Daniel chapter 3 is written as a comedy drama, and the main character in this story Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the source of the drama, and without him knowing it at the time, he's also the source of the comedy. You might be wondering, "Ah, hang on, what about Daniel? How how did King Nebuchadnezzar end up becoming the main character in this part of the story? Well, we got 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. Daniel appears in 11 of those chapters. This one's the exception. Just a quick recap. Remember in chapter 2, God gives Daniel both the ability to uh, to know what King Nebuchadnezzar saw in a dream and God gave Daniel the ability to interpret that dream. King was amazed by this. He tells Daniel, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And the king gives Daniel high honors. He gives him many gifts. He even gives Daniel a huge promotion. Now remember, Daniel, he's a Jewish exile, but he's put in charge of the entire province of Babylon, and he's also put in charge of all of King Nebuchadnezzar's wise men. And then Daniel gets permission from the king to appoint three of his fellow exiles, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as the ones who who run the day-to-day affairs of Babylon, while Daniel stays in the king's court. But Daniel goes on hiatus for all of Daniel chapter 3. And it's for reasons that we don't know. The the text just doesn't tell us why Daniel goes incognito. But at any rate, as as we're starting off today, and and for whatever length of time has passed between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, what, what Nebuchadnezzar had said about Daniel's God being the, the God of gods and the Lord of kings, well, for the king, that, that is now yesterday's news. And the reason why it's yesterday's news is that Nebuchadnezzar is simply a pompous, arrogant man. In so many ways, the, the king that we see here in Daniel chapter 3, th- th- this is a man who is sickeningly, obnoxiously full of himself. And he's in the middle of pulling a power play. He's doing this by by instituting mandatory idol worship. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now let's pause here. This is where we already have some comedy happening in this story. I don't know who the king's chief architect or sculptor was, but, but in my humble opinion, the man needs to go back to art school. You, you, you've got this idol being built that in, in modern day measurements is, is 90 feet tall 
and nine feet wide. Uh, proportionately, that's 10 feet tall by a foot wide. It's, it's the height of a basketball hoop to the height of a ruler, or the width of a ruler. Take those proportions, multiply them by nine, and, and you have this beanpole <laughs> that King Nebuchadnezzar is commissioning to have it built, and he's having it built outside of town in a real flat place so that all the people can see its magnificence. <laughs> Before we jump into verse 2 here, that things, things are about to get very repetitive in our story, and that's actually by design, partly because for the author reporting the story this way, it, it helps to teach it. Repetition is a good teacher, right? But it's also being reported this way because it's the author's way of starting to poke fun at this pompous king as, as he's kind of powering up. It, it, it's kind of in the same type of way like how Dr. Seuss' repetition works for us. You know, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I will not eat them in a box. I will not eat them with a box. Get, get your minds in, the, in that category, okay? Because that's the territory we're going into here, starting in verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar set together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials in the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound, of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, it's, it's dedication day for this, this golden thing. And the king wants everybody who's anybody in attendance for dedication day. And what the king wants, the king gets. So every representative government at every level of government, comes out to dedication day. You have one of the king's messengers that comes forward to proclaim a royal decree to all the gathered officials saying something to this effect. Ladies and gentlemen, upon hearing the melodious sounds of the Babylonian Symphony Orchestra, you are commanded to bow down and worship this golden statue whose construction has been commissioned by your king. And if you don't, you get burned alive in the furnace. Talk about an offer you can't refuse. Now you have people, that, now keep in mind, this, this is a, a polytheistic world. This, this is a world where, where people, they, they believe in many gods, little g. We, we know them, of course, to be false gods. But with these people, it's like, well, hey, we, we worship many gods already. Hey, what's one more? Even if it looks skinny 
weird out here in the middle of nowhere. But when your choices are worship or burn, when they strike up the band, everyone bows down in worship of this odd-looking thing which the king has had built. And so far it looks like the king has gotten just what he wants. This isn't as much about a, a, a skinny golden statue as much as it is about a pompous king who's feeling pretty good about himself right now. Is what, what we have here. This, this is a spectacle on the grandest proportions that is playing out as a tribute to the king's magnificence. Because the king has everybody where he wants them to be, when he wants them to be there, doing what he tells them to do, when and how he tells them to do it. Or does he? Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound, here we go again, of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Have you ever been in a situation at work where somebody got a promotion and somebody else was really jealous because of it because they didn't think they deserved it? Here we have Chaldeans. These are people who have a Babylonian ethnic background. But who's been placed in charge of the affairs of the province of Babylon? Outsiders. Exiles. Jews who put them in charge of the affairs of Babylon. That Jew, Daniel. Now, yes, the king signed off on it. But the mindset of these Chaldeans, okay, okay we, we conquered these people. We laid waste to their city. They're prisoners of war. And now they get to be in charge over us and tell us what to do and how to live our lives? Come on! And where it says that these Chaldeans, that they maliciously accused the Jews, that, that word malicious, that, that just barely begins to scratch the surface of what's going on here. Well, when... when Obviously, when the king hears this, I mean, not just the explicit lack of compliance on the part of these men, but these subtle reminders from the Chaldeans that, 
you know, King, this is, this is about you. This is about people who don't follow your royal leadership. Nebuchadnezzar blows a fuse. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? King reminds these three Jewish exiles in no uncertain terms of how he sees this situation. King is saying, I made you, and I can break you. I'm the one who's large and in charge around here. So, so, so let, let's make one thing clear. You're going to do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. And if you do, great, we're fine. And if not, who is the God that can deliver you out, out of my hands? These three Jewish exiles... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond like this. Verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There's times that I read stories in the Bible, and I would absolutely love to know what tone of voice that people use as they were talking. This is one of those times. Were these men calm? Or was there maybe a little bit of a quiver in their voice because they were a little nervous and they, and they didn't know how things were going to work out. I don't know. Were, 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 these, were these men respectful or were they maybe a, a little bit defiant? Well, whatever the case, these men were just as clear to the king in what they said to him as the king had been to them and what he said to them. O king, we will not comply with, your, comply with your decree, no matter what you might do to us. Now, if you think the king was mad before, you would defy the king. Because I'm going to watch these men burn. 
G-rated, too, because it would not surprise me if King Nebuchadnezzar also called these men every name in the book. <laughs> Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. You remember the old joke from the Spinal Tap movie? You know, most guitar amps, the volume goes from zero to 10, but on these it goes to 11. <laughs> the furnace, the king had the heat turned up to 70. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army, verse 20, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in, in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And our comedy-drama story has suddenly gone light on the comedy and heavy on the drama. Again, re repetition as a teaching tool. Three times in the verses that we just read here, the word order or ordered is used. The king is, he is large and in charge. He's the one with all the power. He's the one who's in control of everything, except his own self, ironically. But the king's unhinged, and he's giving unhinged orders, and he's so unhinged that the, the ripple effect of this is that some of the mighty men of his army, some of his very best soldiers, elite force soldiers, end up dying in the process of carrying out the king's unhinged orders. But the king holds the lives of these three Jewish exiles in the palm of his hand. Or does he? Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Remember back in verse 15 where the king asked, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, he just got his answer. And this king, this, this pompous, arrogant man, this king who, whose words commissioned the construction of funny-looking golden idols. 
This, this king who calls peoples and nations and languages to gather on his command. This, this king who orchestrates mandatory idol worship as a backdoor way to flex his own muscles. This king that uses every last earthly resource available to him within his power to get what he wants. Compared to the power of God, this king's power... It's a joke. Verse 26, Then King Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning fiery fortress. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not, had, had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. These men came out of this, the, the fire smelling fresh as daisies. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Fasten your seatbelts. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And that's the last that we see of these three men in the book of Daniel. And there's so, so much that we could draw out of this passage. At the outset of the message, I said that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar was the main character in the story. And that, that's true from a, from a human standpoint. But, but the main, main character in this story, it's God. And the main point of this story is that God is greater than. It, it doesn't matter what's on the other side of the math equation doesn't matter. God is greater than. Now, what does that mean for our lives today, especially as, as we, we're in this, this sermon series for Daniel talking about faithful witness in exile? What, what is it that we can learn today from Jan Daniel chapter 3 that shapes our lives as disciples of Jesus so that we can, make Je we can faithfully make Jesus known, even in the middle of a world that so often seems like it wants nothing to do with Jesus. Well, I had, past tense, I had a number of observations to share with you today, but because you want to get home before 3 o'clock this afternoon, I ended up moving most of those things into your sermon discussion questions for this week. So make sure that you use those. But there's, there's one key observation, there's one key thing from Daniel chapter 3 uh, that, that I really hope we can spend some time and, 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 and that God would impress this upon us today. And I'm, I'm going to frame it this way. Because our great God is faithfully present with his people, we can trust him, not negotiate with him. Let's unpack that, because Daniel chapter 3, this can actually be a really dangerous story uh, to study. I, 
all too often through the years, people have, people have read this story, they've seen how the story has unfolded, and, and in a nutshell, they come away from this chapter of Scripture drawing a conclusion, something like this. If I'm faithful to God, then he will protect me from all harm and hardship. I mean, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They remained faithful to God, even though they were at risk of being burned alive in, in, in the hottest, fieriest furnace that you can imagine. But because they remained faithful to God, God protected them from harm and hardship. Therefore, if I remain faithful, God will protect me from harm and hardship. If, if you and I remain faithful to God, I, I cannot promise you that, that he will protect you from all harm and hardship. I, I cannot make you that promise. And to me, that may be the most powerful thing about this story. It's seeing about how these three Jewish exiles recognize this truth. Look, look back at verses 17 and 18. They say, if this be so, our, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, but, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. God, God can protect us from your furnace. But even if he doesn't, we still won't worship your idol, O king. Now, what type of posture before God does that show? Does, does that show negotiating, or does it show trusting? Sometimes, sometimes God chooses to intervene in our circumstances, and, and sometimes he doesn't, even as we're living for him. And it, we, have to, we have to be careful that we don't, Consciously, we don't unconsciously start, start slipping into thinking that, that living faithfully for God ends up becoming almost like this backdoor way of trying to cut a deal with him to make sure that, that he protects us from harm and hardship every time, all the time. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. That's not what Daniel chapter 3 is teaching us. There's times that God allows people who are living faithfully for him to be killed by having rocks thrown at them. Like what happens at the end of Acts chapter 7 with Stephen. I, me, I like the Daniel 3 stories a lot better than I like the Acts 7 stories. I, I like the protection stories better than I like the pain stories, but both types of stories are true. What are you saying, Brandon? What's, what's the point of me being faithful to God if it's nothing more than a flip of the coin whether or not he's going to protect me or not? You're saying I, 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 we, we need to be faithful to God no matter what he, what he decides to do? It's a hard question mentally to grapple with. And emotionally, and spiritually, it's hard. Here's the, if, if we're going to ask the question, what, why does God sometimes choose to protect people from harm and hardship, 
but then at other times he doesn't. Then there's, there's another question that we have to ask right alongside of the first one, and, and, and here's that question. Did God protect his one and only son from all harm and hardship? And when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's asking that if there's any other possible way for him to accomplish his mission, that, that his father would make that possible, what was the answer to Jesus' prayer? The answer to Jesus' prayer was having a crown of thorns pushed down into his head and being whipped 40 times minus one and having spikes driven through his hands and his feet as his wounded body was nailed to a splintery, rugged cross. And as he had the penalty for the sins of every human who has ever walked the face of the earth placed upon him, but the, the one who himself was perfect and sinless. Did God protect his one and only son from all harm and hardship? No, he didn't. When Jesus found himself in the fire, so to speak, he felt every last bit of its intensity. In fact, God allowed Jesus, his faithful son, to experience ultimate harm and hardship so that unfaithful people, you and me, so that people who were and are unfaithful to God, so that we could experience God's faithful presence with us through faith in Jesus. Now that's a miracle that, that we take for granted all too often. Jesus experienced harm and hardship that we deserved to go through so that we can experience God's faithful presence with us anytime, all the time, even when the fires of life in a world that is not our home even when those fires are burning the hottest around us. As we remember the faithfulness that God has shown to us through Jesus. See, what happens, first of all, we, start, we steer clear uh, of believing that in our, in our relationship with God, that, that faithfulness, that, that it really ultimately boils down to us, that it hinges upon us. Faithfulness begins and ends with God. God is the faithful one. Be encouraged by that. And because of that, we don't need to, to go to a place of even thinking that we need to negotiate with him. When we find ourselves threatened by the fires of life, God is already showing his faithfulness to us because he's already present with us. And whether it's during times of hard, harm and hardship, or, or whether it's as he's protecting us from times of harm and hardship, either way, there is nothing that can separate us from God's faithful presence. And that's why we can trust him. I think about it. 
Even if God would have chosen to not protect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the middle of the fiery furnace, God still would have been with them. Their earthly lives could have ended in that moment and death wouldn't have had the final word. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have won. Again, the, the, the end there of verse 17, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, even if the fire consumes us. Because God would have been faithful to bring his people into his perfect presence in heaven for all eternity. No matter what happens, our faithful God will always be present with his people. And God's people will always be with him. And then when we remember how faithful God is and how faithful he's been and how faithful he's going to be, well, then more and more we start finding our identity, we start finding our security in him. And then we start placing more of our faith and our hope and our trust in him. And more and more, we see how the dominoes start falling, we start living faithfully for him just more and more as, as a thank you response to his faithfulness to us. And then that gives birth to a peace and a confidence that no matter what happens, no matter what we go through, we won't go through it alone because God will always be with us. It's like it says at the beginning of Psalm 46. It, it, it starts out, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we will not fear. And, as, and then as we, as we grow even more in our confidence of God's faithful presence with us, there's something else that happens. We end up becoming faithful witnesses in the middle of a world that is not our home. We're witnesses to the love of God. We're witnesses to the power of God. We're witnesses to the faithful presence of God, even while we're living in a hard world that isn't home. Even when the world is falling around apart, falling apart around us. Psalm 46. Even when our world is falling apart around us, and even while we're living faithfully for him. This isn't about showing people that we're somehow invincible. Or, or, or that this isn't about showing people that we're oblivious to pain. We don't, we don't need to be like that. Don't, don't put that type of expectation or burden upon yourself. That, that's not what this is talking about. But, but when there is this, this resilience that that we have and then people around us they start to sense that or they start to sense that we, we have some sort of this, 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 this peace about us and they're like you're going through this differently well yeah I, I mean it's, it's hard but I'm not going through it alone and that opens a door for us to be witnesses faithful witnesses who tell people about our faithful God and about how he has made a way that every person can experience his faithful presence with them through the grace of Jesus. 
There's a lot of people in the world today who think they're pretty big and bad. And, and all right, a lot of them with just a few words, they, they can get people doing some pretty crazy things. But compared to God's power, their power, their influence, it's just a joke. And there's one thing that we need to remember today. As, as we live our lives as aliens and strangers in, in a world that is not home. Let's remember that our faithful God will always be present with his people. And if God is for us, and, and, and if this God is for us, then who can be against us? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Hallelujah indeed, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah that because the cross did not have the final word. Hallelujah that through your resurrection, through your grace and mercy, that we can experience your faithful presence with us anytime all the time. Hallelujah to your name. Would you renew within us, God, that trust and that confidence that you are present with us. And in doing so, would you receive all the glory through our grateful and transformed lives. We worship you. We thank you. We love you. And we pray these things in your name, King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.